Peoria City Soccer's second season is now underway. The head coach says an energetic atmosphere isn't just good for the crowds. For the guys that come play on our team, it's the crowd, it's the environment, it's a real game day experience. Hear about what's new for the city's semi-pro soccer franchise just ahead on All Things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Jody Holtz. Coming up, WCBU's Joe Deacon interviews Peoria City Soccer head coach Tim Regan about the team's new season. And WCBU's Colin Shope gets the full scoop on a new Peoria Cat Cafe. It just offers a, a unique way to have that interaction. Plus, learn how Peoria ranks up compared to other cities on gun violence rates and why smaller cities across the country are seeing huge upswings in recent years. Those stories plus local news is just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM in WCBU.org. Support for WCBU comes from the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. Flying through PIA can take you anywhere. If you're working away from home or taking a new adventure, you can fly local with American, Allegiant, or United Airlines. Trips begin and end at Peoria International Airport. Details at flypia.com. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's News Magazine, All Things Peoria, and I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for tuning in. We have a fabulous show for you today. The second season is underway for the Peoria City semi-professional soccer franchise with a new but familiar head coach leading the way. Club general manager Tim Regan, a former Bradley University standout and MLS pro, has added the coach role to his duties. He takes over for Ruben Resendez, who guided Peoria City to the playoffs as an expansion team. Peoria City already set its attendance record with a crowd of more than 1,300 fans on hand last Saturday at Shea Stadium for the USL League 2 season opener. WCBU reporter Joe Deacon talks with Regan about the team's expectations for the rest of the season and why he's serving as coach this year. There are a lot of reasons for having me as the head coach this year. First off, the guy who did a really good job in the first year was unavailable. So availability is a key aspect, and I was able to step in and serve in the role this season. You're very familiar with the Peoria soccer community and have been connected to this area for more than two decades now. For those who may not know, can you tell us a little bit about your background and experience? Yeah, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version of that one. I went to school here at Bradley University so I spent four years on the soccer team playing for Jim DeRose, who's my current boss as the head coach still of the program. I, I left here at Peoria a little bit early from college and took off and played soccer and major league soccer for a few years. Continued to work in the professional game as a scout for Toronto FC. Transitioned into another scouting role for the U.S. Soccer Federation, then into the coaching world where I did a little bit of youth and then a professional team called Indy 11, which plays in the second division in our country. Came back to Bradley University to join Coach DeRose as his assistant and uh, start my seventh season this coming year. Seven seasons on the yeah. Bradley staff. Turning back to Peoria City, how successful would you rate the club's first season and how would you hope to build on it for this year? For a starting club, to make the playoffs number one is a challenge because you have to acquire the players, keep the players, and, and make the performance happen all year long all summer long. Second, you you need to make sure that you have something to draw people in. And for the guys that come play on our team, 
it's the crowd. It's the environment. It's a real game day experience that you don't see a lot of times in this USL2 league. So I would say that on our end, we had a really fantastic first year. So you talk about the crowd, and what is the biggest key to growing interest in this team and in this level of soccer here? There's a couple different aspects to our sport. It's a, a weird one, soccer. For most fans, when you go to a game, you show up, you pay your ticket, you sit in your seat, and you enjoy the sporting event. Uh, no different than local theater or anything of the sort in the arts community. But for soccer, we have a unique thing that we call supporters clubs. And we have one called the 309. And they are grassroots. It's a couple of local guys that are passionate soccer fans. And to have your own team called Peoria City in your backyard show up, support it, make your own chants, make your own scarves, make your own uh, name of the group, the 309. And they have a real passion for the sport. And in our last season, they were out there in good numbers, and they've already enhanced that this year uh, to be really impressive. Uh, they're over 300 as a group total in terms of the online support. And then in person, they're between 15 and 100 in every game. And they don't just sit and watch. They sing, they chant, they have drums, megaphones. Uh, it, it creates a different environment that you're used to seeing in normal sporting events. Who are some of the key players on this year's team that fans should notice? Well, first we have our local players, and I, I think that's always a, a great sell. Uh, Peoria soccer community is strong. It's always been big in number. So Miles Fonafong is, is one of our local players. He grew up in Washington, uh, went to high school here in Peoria at Peoria Notre Dame. Uh, Wesley Gibson's from Morton, went to high school at Morton. Uh, both of them played collegiately at Wisconsin Green Bay and Southern Illinois Edwardsville. Also have Noah Madrigal, who's a local player that went to Peoria Notre Dame and is currently at Marquette University. There are some other younger guys that are still making their footprint in the college game and, and trying to make their skills a little bit better this summer so that next year when you look up their names, they have stats and games played in, in respective schools, uh, Division One, Two, and Three. The team opened the season last Saturday with a 3-2 to loss to St. Charles at Shea Stadium. What were your takeaways from that match? What did you see that you liked, and what would you want to improve? Well, unfortunately, since we didn't win, I'll point to the, my favorite part, which was uh, the crowd. And that's spectacular. We set our attendance record and uh, food trucks in the parking lot, DJ, tailgate, uh, great support all along from all of our local sponsors. Uh, on the soccer front, you got a lot of goals. So if you're a neutral observer or just learning the game for the first time, uh, the game is pretty exciting. It's a pretty wide open, fluid style of play, as we might say, and, and really entertaining to watch. What are your expectations for Friday's second contest when you host FC Wichita? All these games are just really difficult to judge who's going to win because each week a team can look totally different, which is the nature of this summertime. You might have as many as 30 or 40 players on your roster. So to say that the opposing coach knows exactly what he's doing and I know exactly what I'm doing is probably false. Uh, we know our players, but who's available, who's healthy, uh, who's ready to play. So each game is just we go in and we know it's going to be really competitive. So what's the outlook for the rest of the season? What goals have you set for the team? Well, we have to match last year. We just get back to the playoffs. And uh, we got off on the wrong foot with, with the first game being a loss. But we've got 11 more games and plenty of time to make that up. That's Peoria City Soccer Head Coach Tim Regan talking to WCBU's Joe Deacon about the semi-pro club's second season. To hear this full conversation, head to WCBU.org. You're listening to All Things Peoria. You're listening to WCBU Peoria Public Radio on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. This is All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. 
Though popular internationally, there aren't many cat cafes in the U.S. Now, a one-of-a-kind business for Central Illinois is headed for Peoria. WCBU's Colin Shope spoke with the owner of the upcoming River Kitty Cafe to learn more. Holly Walker is an eighth grade math teacher, mother of four, and soon the owner of the first cat cafe in Central Illinois. Though the feline-focused shops started internationally in 1998, the first American cafe opened less than a decade ago in 2014. In Illinois, cat cafes are mainly in Chicago and surrounding suburbs. People often ask me, like, a cat lounge? What are you talking about? They look at me like I'm crazy sometimes. Walker says she got the idea after visiting a cat cafe during a work trip in Minnesota. And I absolutely fell in love with it from the first time I was in there. Uh, Knowing that the cats are from a shelter and knowing that the shelters are often overrun with many stray animals, um, having the cats there invisible and able to interact with the public increases the adoption rate. With four cats at home as evidence, Walker also has a lifelong affection for the animals. It all started with the barn cats outside her rural childhood home. I've fallen in love with cats from a very early age. They have uh, incredibly curious and inquisitive personalities. And on the other hand, they're also, you know, really chill and just lay in your lap and curl up and they're happy to not have any excitement. Here's how it works. River Kitty Cafe will be split into two sections, the counter to order coffee with some sitting space and the cat lounge with adoptable pets. Walker says the building at 3226 North University already has a suitable design. So just looking online, I found this former um, title check cashing kind of lending place, and I thought they already have the wall there. I'm going to go check this out. And after that, the deal was done. Patrons enter through the coffee shop portion of the building and can rent time with the cats at a rate of $12 an hour. You'll have to be six or older to enter the cat room, and Walker will help provide guidance on how to handle the animals. All the cats will come from Peoria County Animal Protection Services, or PCAPS. PCAPS Director Becky Spencer says the Association of Shelter Veterinarians has guidelines for overseeing cat cafes. PCAPS will help determine the number of cats, care procedures, and the selection. It will be the cats that are more social, um, the the more friendly, outgoing cats, so that folks there have a great experience. Um, but also we want to be careful to not give her nothing but black cats or nothing but orange cats, and so we'll do our best to give her a good mix. Spencer says the plans aren't set in stone yet, but they hope to have everything needed for adoption on site, so a person could potentially meet their new pet at the cafe and adopt them the same day. There is still a huge overpopulation problem with cats in our area, Um, so we're always looking for venues and creative ways to adopt cats. Spencer says they've done pop-up cat cafes before, just for a day or a weekend, but those don't offer a continuous, ongoing adoption opportunity like the River Kitty Cafe. With a source for cats secured, Walker moved on to a source for coffee. She's currently purchasing and installing equipment like espresso machines and learning how to make the drinks. The coffee itself will come from Pennsylvania-based independent roaster Kitty Town Coffee. I was scrolling through a sponsored ad for Kitty Town Coffee. I thought to myself, I wonder if this is even any good. Uh, so I ordered a sampler pack and it was 
it was amazing. So um, I signed up to be a wholesaler through them. Zanetta Coke is the founder of Kitty Town Coffee. They have around 75 wholesale partners, including other cat cafes. It's always a really nice partnership because, you know, of course, we're um, very interested in their mission as they are interested in ours. Kitty Town Coffee's mission includes donating a portion of sales to shelters. Their Facebook page says that every bag sold feeds a kitty in a shelter for a week. Coke says in this case, PCAPs will likely receive the donations. Usually when we're working with like a cat cafe, then um, we'll actually like donate to whatever shelter they're working with. Uh, we really try to um, work with um, wholesale or with our wholesale partners to offer it to somebody that's like local to them. Supporting the local shelter's adoption efforts and donating through coffee sales is important to Walker. But she also hopes to create a place that offers something different than your average coffee shop, comfort and support. College students are people who live in apartments that can't own pets and they miss their cat, you know, their cat back home and they, they want to spend time with a cat. Or you have people who live with significant others or family that have allergies and they can't, you know, have a pet in their house. It just offers a, a unique way to have that interaction. There's still a lot left to do and questions remain for Walker about bringing on more employees and balancing the new business with another year of teaching. However, the cafe has picked up traction online with over 2,000 followers and a daily flood of cat photos from possible future patrons. A promising sign for the future of Peoria's first cat cafe. For WCBU, I'm Colin Show. Walker is currently aiming for a midsummer opening for River Kitty Cafe. She's also working with Bradley University Small Business Development Center on the cafe. You're listening to All Things Peoria. Listening to WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria, and I'm Jody Holtz. In a violent 2021, the city of Peoria's firearm homicide rate far exceeded that of Chicago. That's one of the recent findings of Magic Wade, a researcher at the University of Illinois Springfield. She says gun violence isn't just a problem for the largest American cities. Rates in many smaller U.S. cities have soared over the past several years, and in many cases, recent rates surpass the previous historical high set in the 1990s. Peoria is no exception, with a record high of 34 homicides recorded in 2021. That came out to a firearm homicide rate of 25 per 100,000, more than the 15 per 100,000 in the Windy City. Wade recently discussed the conclusions she drew from her examination of U.S. gun violence data with WCBU's Tim so what's new about my research is that I've been able to obtain firearm homicide and injury statistics for more cities than has ever been studied. Um, and so I have over 1,300 cities of all city sizes in my data set. And I use information from the Gun Violence Archive, which is publicly available. Anybody can look at this data, but it takes a long time to aggregate it when you're looking at over 1,300 cities. And so what I've been able to do is track firearm homicide and injury rates going back to 2015 through 2021, and I'm currently collecting the data for 2022 as well. And 
oftentimes we hear a lot about uh, you know gun violence in major cities like Chicago, New York, where data is is very available. There's a lot of data on cities like that. But when you talk about mid-sized cities like Peoria or, or even smaller cities than Peoria, talking you know fifty thousand people perhaps, uh, it, it gets a lot harder to access that data. Correct. Historically, it has been harder to access that data because larger police departments are much more likely to report to the national FBI and uh, CDC crime reporting systems. However, there's recently been a big push to get more police departments to report to a new national level reporting system, but they haven't caught up with it yet. So there's there's going to be a lag for the next few years while smaller police departments start to report to the national database. And so, for instance, Peoria is now reporting to the national uh, FBI crime statistics, but a lot of police departments from cities with less than even 250,000 people don't necessarily report every year. So that's why, for instance, my data only goes back to 2015 because the Gun Violence Archive has, has been around for a few years before that, but their data got better by 2015. And so that's as far back as they go, and they include all the cities in the United States. Now, when it comes to the national level statistics, you can get state level, you can get county level going back a couple of decades, but you can't get fine-grained data at the community level uh, going back as far as I've been able to, you know, at, back to, like, say, the 90s. And uh, that kind of goes to your paper's uh, premise here. You talk about, and I'll, I'll read an exact quote, uh, you know, a shared sense of the scope and severity of the problem of gun violence is urgently needed. For too many American communities, it's not as bad as the 1990s. It's worse. And uh, for Peoria specifically, uh, looking at the year 2021, uh, we set uh, a record high for uh, homicides in the city of Peoria in 2021. The, the majority of those were, uh, you know, firearm-related homicides. But we, we actually did surpass some of those previous high water marks set in the 1990s. And uh, your research found that you know, in the last few years, that that's not unique. It's not unique at all. And I want to be really clear about um, what my research shows and what it, it doesn't show. Um, and so I'm able to trace the, the difference in the homicide and firearm injury rate going back to 2015. We can say anecdotally that a lot of cities have surpassed the rates that they experienced in the 1990s by looking at specific cities in my data set. But what I am able to show definitively is the, the rate of increase since 2015, and especially the spike that occurred between 2019 and 2020, and then that continued in 2021. And so there was a, a 30% spike in homicides, mostly driven by firearm deaths in 2020. This was a national trend. And you know we might think this was just driven by firearm deaths in a few large cities, because you know 50 or 60% of murders do occur in large cities, because that's where the population is. However, my data shows that over 40% of firearm homicides, I'm not looking at suicides or accidents, um, those are occurring in cities with less than 250,000 people. And so that spike that was driven by you know, a confluence of factors was being contributed to by lots and lots of cities of all different sizes. So it's, it's absolutely true that large cities did experience a spike in homicides, practically all large cities except about 15. Had a, had a big increase, but these small cities had just historic increases in gun violence. And Peoria is an excellent example of that, where Peoria is no uh, stranger to firearm violence. You know, there, there's usually been about a homicide a month in Peoria for the last several years of, of at least my data. But when that goes up to, you know, almost 30 homicides in a particular year, that's a very huge shock to the community. So, yeah, looking at that, uh 
can you compare Peoria perhaps to some other similar cities around Illinois, maybe around the nation? I mean, as you say, we're not atypical, but are we are we a bit of an outlier? What can you say in terms of where we fall on that spectrum? So the way that I compare cities to each other is by looking at the firearm homicide rate for 100,000 people. And this normalizes what we're able to, to evaluate and, and think of cities with different sizes and, and how severe is their, their gun violence problem. And so a large city like Chicago historically is going to have a lot more homicides than, than a smaller city. But by comparing the rate, we can kind of get a sense of, you know, how severe is this problem? And so in a city like Chicago, the homicide rate is about 15 with just with guns. I'm not looking at homicides committed by other means is about 15 per 100,000. Peoria's in 2021, which was the worst year for Peoria, the firearm homicide rate was 25 per 100,000. Now, among cities in Illinois, that is one of the higher rates. And I'm confirming if it is not the highest. I believe it was the highest. Um, among cities that are included in my data set, there are a few small towns that I do not include in my data set. So, for instance, Rantoul, Illinois, had a very high number of murders, and it's a small population. So their rate actually might be higher, but Rantoul's not in my data set. Um, I don't include cities that are small towns that aren't considered urbanized by the U.S. Census in my data. But this is still, I mean, the majority of, of cities are, are urbanized, so they're included. Um, so for comparison's sake, when we look at the firearm homicide rate per 100,000, there are numerous cities in my data set that way surpass Peoria's rate of about 25 per 100,000. Um, just a, a quick, I can do a quick little count here. There's at least 100 cities that have, uh, but of 1,300 that have higher rates than Peoria. So that means that there are, you know, 1,200 with lower rates. And so it's definitely in the top of the distribution. Um, now in 2022, Peoria had fewer homicides. They, they reduced their firearm homicide rate by 25%, it looks like, according to the police data that I've been able to analyze. And they've also really been improving their homicide clearance rate in Peoria. So in 2022, 63% of homicides were cleared. And so they're starting to move things in the right direction. So this shock that occurred in a lot of cities, it's not necessarily going to persist. That was University of Illinois Springfield researcher Magic Wage speaking with WCBU's Tim Shelley about her analysis of gun violence data. And that is all for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU, a public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for being here with me today. Story help today came from our powerhouse of Joe Deacon, Colin Shope, and Tim Shelley. Holden Kellogg is back as the producer of this episode of All Things Peoria, which is made possible in parts by the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. For more information, Information on all of these stories, head to WCBU.org. And if you haven't, subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And we do want to know what you think of the show, so let us know by commenting on our Facebook page. We're Peoria Public Radio. Or go give us a follow on Instagram, hey, at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM in WCBU.org, Peoria Public Radio, part of of the NPR network.